Hallelujah. We're going to just start with Hebrews 11, and then we're going to get into some steps. We've been thinking about talking about this thinking, feeling cycle. How many of you are learning how to interrupt your own patterns? How many of you are learning how to interrupt your own patterns? How many of you had an opportunity this past week to interrupt your own pattern? How many of you took a chance this week to interrupt your own pattern? Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. How many of you realize that you had always had the power? That you weren't waiting on God to come into your situation, but that God had already given you the grace to interrupt your pattern? Make this confession. Say, the grace to transform is already mine. I'm not trying to get it. I'm just waking up to it. Hallelujah. I want you to see the promises of God a lot like Christmas morning. When you go to bed, you remember as a kid when you went to bed the night before? Most of the time, all the presents was already in the house. You just didn't see them yet. And while you went to sleep, your own personal Santa Claus and elves, which included whoever loved you, put your bike together, your dollhouse, organized your stuff, and you woke up to find what had already been there now in your sight. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. When little kids go to bed, they don't worry about who gonna put the dollhouse together. They don't worry about where the batteries go come from. They just know that when they open their eyes, it's some stuff with their name on it. I submit to you that if you open your eyes, you will find that it's some stuff with your name on it. So Hebrews 11 tells us now faith, now faith, say now faith, is the evidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now faith. Tell your neighbor, say now faith is now. One of the reasons that we keep talking to you about the promises of God and keep telling you that it is the will of God for you to be in victory. Can you pull up um, Hebrews 11 so they can see it? Hebrews 11 and 1. And we keep talking to you about that is because we need you to understand is that as long as you are waiting on God to do something, you aren't in faith. Amen. If you're waiting on God to do something, you're not in faith. Faith really is a lot like being pregnant. Before you can see that you're pregnant, you're pregnant. Even before a test can dictate that you're pregnant, you're pregnant. No one would say they weren't pregnant until they went into labor. No one would say they weren't pregnant until they could see the baby. In fact, what you have found, if any of you have ever been pregnant or been friends with some eagerly pregnant people, is that if they find out on day eight they're pregnant, they start acting like they're pregnant. People who have never paid attention to the baby section in Target are now in the baby section in Target. People who never had a list of names before are now coming up with names. When people are in expectation, they begin to look at things they have previously ignored. We can tell what you are expecting based on what you're looking at. Because pregnant women start looking 
at what they weren't looking for before. Engaged women start looking at what they weren't looking at before. You may have thought you had an idea of a wedding dress, but you can be getting married 18 months from now and you ready to go look at your dress. You might be taller. You don't care. You just ready to go and look at your dress. You may weigh more. You may, may, may weigh less. You don't care because your faith in something that you have already received causes you to make some decisions today so that you can be prepared for what you say that's coming. So you got to ask yourself, what does my expectation say about the intention I've set? What am I looking at on a day-to-day basis? How am I spending my time? What has my attention? That's why we've been talking about constantly transforming. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of not, things not seen. It didn't say things that don't exist. It says things that aren't seen. So when God says to you, hey, this year you're going to get a house, you haven't seen it, but it exists. When God says, hey, healing is manifesting your body, you may not have seen it yet, but it exists. God isn't trying to create what you need. He's already created it, and he says we access it because we believe it now, even before it is manifested in the natural. We believe it because he said it, not because we see it. And in fact, I submit to you is that if you can't believe God until you see, you won't see very much. If you got to wait till you see everything that God is trying to do for you, you won't see a lot. Because faith is the currency of the kingdom. Love is the power source, but faith is the currency. And the Bible says that everything that you receive from God, you're going to receive it by faith. That means you got to put yourself in the game. So what are you thinking about and what are you expecting and where is your intention set? Let's look at verse 2, verse 3, and then verse 6. It says, for by faith, by this ability to believe God for what they could not see before they could see it, the elders obtained a good report. Now, I think that this is really important. You already have a good reputation with God. It's called righteousness. The good report is for you. He says, if you're going to see the good report, you got to use some faith. You're as loved as you're ever going to be. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. You are as good as you are ever going to be because it ain't never been about how good you could be. It's always been about Jesus. So your access to the promises of God are not about how good you are. Anybody glad about that? Thank the Lord that I am not required to dot all the I's and cross all the T's in order to be able to believe from God. But there is something that I must be able to do. I must be able to believe. That he that promised is faithful. I have to believe that his faith is, that his faithfulness is bigger than what they said. That his faithfulness is bigger than what I feel. That his faithfulness is bigger than what I think. It is bigger than what the economy says. It is bigger than what the report says. I have to be able to believe that the one who said it is faithful. If it's about you, your faith is always going to waver. 
It's always going to be, did I do enough? Did I give enough? Did I fast enough? Did I go enough? Oh, I cussed that person out. I probably don't deserve that. Now, oh, I didn't read my Bible those 13 days, that time when I was salty and I was sleeping late. So, but you know what? But it's, it's not about me. It's about my ability to believe that he is. Let's look at verse 3. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what? The word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How is your world framed? By your words. By your words. People don't accidentally end up in good. People don't accidentally end up in bad. People set their intention for where they're going. Where have you set your intention? Now let's go to verse 6. It says, but without faith. What did it say? Why? So you, when you come to God, you got to believe two things. A lot of people believe that he is. You just don't believe the other part. Some people believe that he's a rewarder. There is a reward, but they don't believe in that he is. He says in order to please him, when you come, you just got to believe two things. He didn't say you got to go to church every Sunday. He didn't say that you got to get that them, them approval stamps in the Bible app to show that you're faithful for 37 days. He said what you got to do is believe that he is and he is a rewarder. Do I have anybody in here who believe he is? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to teach you how to take your attention off yourself and look at who he is and remember that he's the rewarder. Because when you start talking about how what you did qualifies you, then you become the rewarder. And you're limited to whatever reward you can give yourself. Or you can say he is and he is the rewarder. So we've been talking about how to set you know, how to interrupt our thinking, feeling cycle. And I said to you guys last week that, man, in the whole time Pastor Edwin and I have been preaching, nobody has ever called us and said, hey, pastors, we're stuck in the lion's den and we need somebody to help us get out. But we have had people call us and say, we don't have enough money. We don't know how we're going to make it. Our bodies are being racked with pain. We don't know how to turn this thing around. Um, this situation is going on in our marriage or with our kids or in our jobs, right? And so what we're saying is that we're trying to say to you that you have to be intentional about thinking about your thinking so you know how to respond when life happens to you. Because chances are you are never going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. But you may have some fiery circumstances. And so you need to know how to respond. You need to train your mind. You need to discipline your mind to respond like God says. And if you practice over the little things, you'll have a lot of proficiency for the big things. If you want to do, want to run the 5K, they got a couch to 5K. They say, if you started from nothing, we can get you there. Most people don't say they was laying on their couch for the last seven months. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going to run a 5K and just strike out there. And the people who do typically don't do very well. And then some of the ones who completed end up in pain for a long time afterwards, right? But if you go a little bit at a time and you practice and you get the discipline, when it's time for the 5K, even if it seems difficult, you have what it takes to complete it. 
So if you'll learn how to discipline yourself in things like coming to church, having a good attitude, speaking to people, um, forgiving people, not holding offense, doing your work with integrity even when your boss is crazy. If you can learn how to do those kind of things right there, you will be prepared for the 5K. We're just trying to move you off the couch. The couch of where you're sitting waiting for something good to happen to you. The couch of where you're sitting and blaming other people for where you are and talking about what your mama did and what your daddy did and what happens to you because you're black or because you're a man or because you're a woman or because you're white or because you're Hispanic. No, we're saying get up off of the couch and start training for the race so when you get to the 5K, you got what it takes to complete it. And that's why we're doing this work. So let me ask you this because we've been doing a little work for a little while. And then we just got some steps today that I'm going to give you. So how many of you set your intention for today? The number's getting better. How many of you believe that your thinking plays some impact on your life? The challenge is, is that you believe that your thinking plays some impact on your life, but you didn't take control of your thinking today to dictate what kind of day you would have. So you say that you believe we are the sum total of our most dominant thoughts. Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But you up here all the way in this day, already at 11, 14, and you haven't set an intention yet. Which means that when you haven't set an intention, then what you're left to happen is whatever energy you step into, and that's what's going to happen to you. But he told us that we should be the commanders of our day. So how will we begin to know that you really believe it? That you'll begin to do what? Set the intention for the day. That you won't get to 1 o'clock and go, oh my God, I don't know why I'm not having such a bad, why I'm having such a bad day. Wait, did I set my intention? Wait, did I declare today that me and my husband were not getting into it? Did I declare today that my day was going to be peaceful with my kids? Did I set my intention that no matter how many people cut out in front of me in traffic, that I was still going to get where I needed to get on time and I wasn't going to get worked up? Did I declare already that if I go to a restaurant and I have to wait extra for some service, I'm not going to get a funky attitude? Have I set my intention or am I just waiting on what happens to happen so I can blame somebody for how I am so that I can say they made me mad and they irritated me and they frustrated me. But you're created in the image of God. How in the world do so many people have power over you unless you stand not standing in your own power? You're created in the image of God, but everybody make you mad and everybody rub you wrong. And everybody against you and everybody oppressing you and everybody can keep you for your dream. Are you created in the image of God or are you not? So we're talking about this setting an intention. So I want to give you an opportunity to just take 30 seconds right now and set your intention for what you expect to get out of the rest of this day. What do you expect to get out of the rest of this message? It's really interesting to me. People who come to church with a problem to the house of God where the word is and won't pray that one song, one comment, one scripture will be the exact answer that they need. And then they will go home with the same problem that they came to because they didn't set an intention. They could not see what had been released to them. Okay, I'm going to give you an example that you really can understand. Anybody ever bought a car? 
And then once you bought that car, maybe on the lot you went, ooh, I've never seen that car in this color. And then as soon as you drive off the lot, you see how many colors, how many cars are in that color. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Let me tell you what happened is because once you got aware and had some attention, your brain began to notice what you previously did not notice. It was not that there were not other burgundy Honda Accords. It was that you did not have any interest in it. So your brain did not notice the burgundy Honda Accords. So if you don't have any intention set for a solution, your brain will not identify the solutions that are in front of you. And you will be sitting in front of the way maker, the promise keeper. And you will miss it because you are so busy focused on your problem that you did not come expecting a solution. So set your intention. God, you said this is going to be my best year yet. What do I need to do this week? What do I need to learn this week for that to happen? So I'm not showing up in December talking about everybody had their best year but me. So we're going to set our intentions. But now we got some steps. I'm going to give you eight steps today. So I'm going to set my intentions as a believer. You know, when, you know I'm going to believe God and I'm going to have a good day every day. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm going to have a good day every day. No, no, say that, begin to say that with some intention. I'm going to have a good day. Every day. And if you went, that's not possible, that's why you have so many raggedy days. Because that's what you believe. So what you believe finds its way to you. Do you know that if you have decided that you can't have a good day every day, you will create a bad day? You'll be like, your, your mind will be like, oh, my God, we went five days and we didn't have no conflict. It's time to fight with somebody. Because ain't nobody supposed to have a good day every day. Say this. Say, I set the atmosphere for my own life. Say, I am the creator of my own life. Now, here is where non-Christians and Christians have some trouble with this issue. Non-Christians believe, hey, I'm just the creator in and of myself. That's their problem. Most Christians believe, I ain't the creator of nothing. I'm waiting on God to do everything. I'm in a bad mood. God, come put me in a better mood. How? What, what do you want him to do? Push you in the back? Drop a cloud on you? What exactly do you want God to do to put you in a better mood when you got control over your own mind? God, come make me have the courage to step into my dreams. What, what are you looking for? Because if you're scared of your dreams, if he's in an angel, you show scared of that. What do you want him to do? What do you want him to do? Say, I have everything I need 
now. I have everything I need now. And if you said, I don't have everything I need now, that's why you don't have everything you need now. It's not God, it's you. So they are over here thinking that they're, they're source independent, which is crazy. But it's equally crazy to have his power on the inside of you and to always be looking for somebody outside of you to tell you how victorious you can be. You always need somebody permission. You always need somebody Facebook post to remind you. How many times do you need to be reminded that you are a champion before you decide that you are a champion? You know the fastest way to go home for the playoffs? Not to believe you the champion. It ain't about talent. Everybody talented at that point. Who goes home is the people who don't believe that they're the champion. So who is in control of your life exactly? Who? So if you don't like your life, you should do something about it. So, here's the first step to doing something about it. Number one, you got to know the promises of God. You need to know the promises of God. You don't know what you qualify for if you don't know what the word says. Now, you got to think about it like this. I've said this many times, know the promises of God. I don't know if they're going to type them. I know sometimes, depending on who's back there, they type them, put them in one, you can see. But if not, I'll say it again so you can get it. Know the promises of God. So there are general promises for everybody. Salvation, health, favor, deliverance, freedom. Say everybody gets that. Well, you know what's specific? How? Now, think about it like this. Salvation comes from Jesus, right? But we didn't all get to Jesus the same way. We didn't all come to Jesus the same way. Somebody got saved in their car. Somebody got saved in their shower. Somebody got saved beside their bed. Somebody got saved in church. So there's a general promise of salvation, but how it accessed you determines when you said yes. Okay? You realize that when you said you wanted to accept Jesus, that wasn't the moment he went to the cross. You realize that he had already gone to the cross when you, for you, and then, so when you realized it, that wasn't when he went, right? It was already done, right? So when you received the money, it wasn't just made. It was already there. When you received a promotion, it was already there. When you received the manifestation of health, it was already there. So I'm going to give you an example of that. So we know the Bible says that by his stripes we were healed. We were healed, meaning it's past tense. So everybody should just lay their hands on their body regardless to how your body feels. And say, body, body. You're, already you're already healed. You're already healed. Now as you heard that, the Lord may say to you, hey, you, you need to drink more water. Your head hurt because you only drink Dr. Pepper. 
So healing is the promise for everybody. Now how you access it is because he said, you, water. You can't now go, healing is my right. I ain't going to drink no more water. You're going to keep that headache. Somebody else, he may have said, hey, you don't sleep enough at night. Turn your phone off. Now that's your specific. You're like, but I'm scared I'm going to miss something. He like, you are missing something. Your body healing. You're missing deep sleep. So whatever you think is happening, wherever you think is happening, it'll be there in the morning. We have some friends that we are in ministry who take Friday as their date night. And they say, listen, don't call us unless it's fire, flood, or blood. They said, don't even call us on Friday if somebody died unless you want to raise them up. If you're just telling us they died, you can tell us that after date night because we don't need that to ruin our date night. No, I always wonder why you call somebody at 3 o'clock in the morning and tell them somebody died. What are we going to do? What did you want us to do? Oh, you just want us to know because you know. You're going to start rethinking your whole life. You get arrested at 3 o'clock in the morning. Save your phone call till in the morning. All of us turn our ringers off. You're not going to be able to get out until, they, until you go for the, heal, for the hearing anyway. Don't have us all up standing out there in, in the middle of the night trying to figure out. Just wait till 8 o'clock. We go, wait. How come Joe didn't come home? Oh, Joe, and, hey, can y'all come get me? Oh, now we can come get you. And I love that because their practice is we're going to manage our own lives. And some of you are all over the place because everybody else is managing your life. Everybody else's emergency becomes your emergency. Even when you don't have the power to do anything about their emergency. I'm going to push you a little bit today. You know you never help anybody because you give them your sympathy. Being sympathetic to people doesn't help them. I fell down, I hurt my knee, you're sorry. What did that do? My knee still hurt. People don't need sympathy, they need solutions. And when you get sad, your brain is out of congruence, so now you don't have any solutions any better than the solutions that I have. And when I get sad, I need you to be able to stay up to tell me what we're supposed to do not to be there. But you think that being sad with us is helping us, and now all we got is that we all sad together. And here's what happens. If I meditate in sadness over your problem long enough, it becomes my problem. So here's what happened. I meditate over the fact that you don't have no money long enough. I start doing stupid stuff to help you get money, and I look up, and now we both don't have no money. My marriage, fine. But I'm talking to you every day about your crazy marriage. You're not interested in doing any of the steps that I tell you because every day I give you some steps to do. You don't do them. You just call me back to tell me what's wrong with your marriage. Before I know it, I'm looking at my boo crazy. Somebody dumping all of their junk in you about what's wrong with their raggedy marriage and you, live, you keep on, your marriage going to be raggedy because now you striking out. He's like, wait a minute. Wait, I'm, I'm not James. I got you something for Mother's Day. Because your friend called you. She's like, I can't even believe he didn't give me nothing. Now you got to throw you. Go, oh, my God, I can't believe he didn't get it. Now you just interrupting what's happening with you. Yeah. 
So sympathy isn't a solution. That was free. So, okay, the next one. So know the promises of God. Number two, set our intention. That's what we practice. So once we know the promises of God, we want to begin to set our intention. So once we know that healing is the will of God for our lives, we want to set our intention to live healed. Once we know that peace is the will of God for our life, we want to set our intention to live in peace. We want to begin to discipline ourselves so that other people don't take our peace. How many times have you ever allowed somebody, how, let me say it like this, how many of you have ever allowed somebody else to change your mood? You can't manage your peace like that. Because then your whole life and your mood is set by what somebody else does. So I got to set my intention. So yes, I may talk to you about your problem and I may be empathetic and I may offer you some solutions and when I get through, I'm going to release that because that was not my problem to begin with. And he didn't say cast your cares on Sean, he said cast them on the Lord. So I'm going to go back to my position of living a good day because that's how I've set my intention. And when I find myself taking my mind back to this thing that I don't have anything to do about, I'm going to begin to bring myself back and interrupt my cycle over and over and over again until I begin to train myself to mind my own business and stay in my own lane. All right, so I'm going to set my intention. That's number two. Number three, I'm going to ask for wisdom. We don't know what we don't know. Sometimes we don't know what we don't. Sometimes we know we don't know, but we still don't know what we don't know. Does that make sense? So we know we want a better marriage, but we don't exactly know how to get it. We know that we don't want to feel the way that we feel, but we don't exactly know how to shift. So we ask for wisdom. We begin to ask God for wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God, why am I so moody? God, why do I lose my peace every day? God, why do I keep ending up in the same situation no matter who I date? We're really good at asking other people. Most of us have not trained ourselves to ask the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes when we ask people, the people we ask don't hear the Holy Spirit. Like, you don't ask people who don't like their husband how to be happily married. You don't ask people who have a raggedy credit score whether you should make a financial business decision or not. I'm, okay, so let's say that Big Mama pays her bills on times, but one of the reasons that she doesn't have good credit is because she co-signed for everybody in the family who don't have good credit. They then pay the bills late, and so then Big Mama ends up with a credit score that's not necessarily representative of her, but it is representative of her bad choices. So if you ask Big Mama, when your sister calls you and asks you, should you co-sign, and you call Big Mama and ask her for advice, what do you think Big Mama probably going to say? Girl, just go ahead and do it because that's what family do. That's what family do. You should look at Big Mama life and ask yourself, is this the life I want? And maybe you just go, you know what? Maybe Big Mama wants you to co-sign so she don't have to put nobody else on her credit. But I think that what you can say to yourself is this. I'm a, who, when I'm asking for wisdom, do one of the things I, I think I said this to Tamika a couple of years ago. I was like, guys, don't take advice from people that you don't want their life. Why would you take advice from people you don't want their life? I don't take marriage advice from people I wouldn't want your marriage. So people go, you can learn something from anybody, mm -hmm, but I can learn better from somebody who got success.
So instead of weeding through all the people with bad relationships, hoping that you give me one good drop of knowledge, I want to find somebody who's already showing that they know how to make it work. I want some people with some longevity. This is also another free um, um, note. It's also why I don't take a bunch of advice from newlyweds you knew. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You got a lot of cute ideas now. You ain't had no pressure. Let's get that pressure and then let's see what you know. You got a bunch of great ideas, a bunch of theories. I'm looking for some people who've been mar married 40 years with some tried and some testing. Who've been, who been happy for at least the majority of them. Because if you've been married for 50 years and you ain't been happy but three, you a newlywed too. I don't want your advice either. So I'm going to ask for some wisdom. Now, number four, I need to tap into the power of my true identity. This is one of the places where a lot of people get stuck. You haven't tapped into who you actually are. And the example I give is this, is that a lot of time women are, I'm not picking on women, I'm just making an observation, um, that women are trying to wife men who haven't married them. So you are giving benefits to somebody. You are being something to someone who hasn't made you something. And there is a difference between doing something because you know your position and doing something because you're trying to obtain a, a position. So if I'm good enough, if I cook enough, if I do all of that, then he'll pick me. And you could do all of that and not be picked. Well, a lot of people are trying to do things from God out of position. You haven't stepped into the righteousness that you already have, so you're over here trying to earn a righteousness, and you're trying to prove to God why he should pick you. Because you don't know you've already been picked. And so we want to make sure that we're tapping into the power of who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are created in the image of God. We are created with power and authority and dominion. And that is how he wants us to live life. He created us to walk in love, not to let fear overtake us. Not to let hate overtake us. Not to let offense overtake us. We're created for love. So anytime we're not walking in love, we're outside of our true identity. So if you're walking around in unforgiveness, you're walking around in offense, you are not being the real you. Tell your neighbor, say, if you're not in love, you're not being the real you. Because the real you was created in love. You're like, but you don't know what they did to me. He did not say that we walk in love and we keep a forgiving heart if they only do X. He said we still choose love. Why? Because love is for us. Because love is our true power source. Have you ever seen somebody and you just have watched them like you know the family they're coming, they come from and then when you see them out doing stuff, you just like, I know your mama didn't teach you that. When you're not walking in love, that's how you look. It's like, I know your daddy didn't teach you that. Abba didn't teach you that. Abba didn't teach you. I know the world says to feed them with a long handle spoon. I know the world says that there's, a short, that there's a shortage of forgiveness, but that's not what God says. Now, let me insert, that doesn't mean that we're accepting abuse and letting people mistreat us, because that ain't what he said either. Because the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, not instead of yourself. 
So that doesn't mean that we accept abuse. It also doesn't mean that we, we can walk away from situations without being angry. Okay, if you went to a restaurant, have you ever done this? You've gone to a restaurant, you sat down at the table, and you looked at the menu, and you decided you didn't want to eat there. And then you decided you were going to leave. You didn't have to be angry to leave. You could just say, this ain't what I want today. When you choose to give back the fear, the office, all the things that you should hold, you, do, you, you just say, I don't choose to do this anymore. All right. Tap into the power of your true identity. Ephesians 3.20 says um, that he wants to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants to do more. Say, God wants to do more for me. Say, God wants to do more for me now. So now if you're walking this circle and you don't know what the more is, you go back to wisdom and be like, God, what do you want to do more now? You see what it is? It's like, so we get the steps and the steps aren't like, they're not like, okay, these steps are not like algebra because you know how if you work, the, work them out of order, you don't get the outcome. This is it. These are more like modules. So we ask God for some wisdom. He gives us something. We go back and ask for wisdom. We go back and get more of our true identity. We just keep using them more as modules, more as Legos. We move them like we need them. So it says that God wants to do more. It says he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. So God has limited himself to the power that's working in us. That's the process that he set in place. When I'm going to do something great for you, I'm going to do something great in you. I'm going to wake you up to what I've done in you to do something great for you. And then what typically happens is you get awakened to what's in you and then you actually do the thing for yourself. He wakes you up to what you can do. It's like when you're trying to teach a kid that they can walk. The way that you teach them that they can walk is you stop carrying them everywhere. So some of the things that you feel like pressure where God isn't catching you like he used to catch you, he's just showing you that you can fly. He's showing you that this pressure isn't designed to break you, that you already have what it takes to stand up to this situation. You already have the answer in you. Because unlike the popular Facebook meme, God is not a teacher who is silent during the test. He is the teacher who gives you the answer during the test. He is the teacher who goes, see, it's see. That's the teacher he is. So we ask for wisdom. We ask questions. Part of asking wisdom, asking for wisdom, write this down if you don't write anything else down and put this in your phone. Part of asking for wisdom is becoming a good question asker. You got to ask some questions instead of assuming that you know. Because how many of you know that words don't always mean the same thing to everybody? And I'll use this example. Some of you have probably heard it before. I don't remember who it was, but some consultant from the United States went to um, some really rich country. Um, I think it was the Sultan of Brunei. 
if that's not the story, just fill in whoever name you want to be there because who it is isn't really important, okay? So John goes to the Sultan of Brunei, does some consulting work for him, and the guy and the Sultan of Brunei wants to give him something as a gift, and he says to him, he says, what do you want? And he says, hey, you know, I play golf, and then he says, you know, um, I'm going to get you um, um, some golf gear, whatever, right? So the guy comes back to the United States, and then some people show up at his door, and they say, we have come to take you to your golf course. And so he was expecting golf clubs. But when the Sultan of Brunei heard club, he thought club. And when he said club, he meant putters, but the guy gave him a course. So sometimes you talking putter and he talking course. That's why you need to ask questions so that you know what he's talking about so you can get in agreement with his plan. Because you're typically thinking here and he thinking here. You thinking, I just want this little bit. He thinking, I gave you the whole thing. All right, number five. Number five, become what we believe. This is the most important thing. A lot of people just got to get used to doing the inside out work. You got to become what you believe. You believe you're victorious, begin to train yourself to look for the victory in every situation. When you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself, remind yourself, this isn't who I am. So you got to become what you believe. That's what Jesus said to the blind men. They said, we want to see. He said, do you believe we could do this? He said, yes, I believe you could do it. He said, great, become it. Do you believe you can be a business owner? Become it. Do you believe that you can become, be a happy person? Become happy. You don't have to wait on somebody else to make you happy. You can be happy right where you are. And I'd like to submit to you that whatever thing you think you're waiting on to make you happy, you're going to get it and still not be happy because happiness is always an inside job. Happiness is the inside job. Now, now you know I believe that if you're going to be if you go be unhappy, it is better to be rich and unhappy than poor and unhappy. I mean, I'd rather be on the Bahamas on the beach than Motel 6. But still, if you're unhappy, you're going to be unhappy whether you're at Motel 6 or whether you're at the Bahamas on the beach. So you have to decide to be happy. Happiness is an inside job. And most of you are so busy trying to get to the beach that you haven't gotten to the beach on the inside. I've seen people in the most beautiful places still complaining. In the most beautiful places we've ever been in, still complaining. Eating the best food that you've ever eaten, still complaining. Because you become what you believe. And if you're not it on the inside, you can't be it when you show up. Oh, you and your mama act just alike. <laughs> Too often we're trying to get an outward thing to prove we're an inward thing. Did you hear what I said? Too often you're trying to get an outward thing to prove that you're an inward thing. When you ought to be letting the inward thing manifest the outward thing. Which is why most people have such a collection of different stuff in your life. You got some amazing stuff over here and some junk over here because you're not really sure what you are on the inside. 
So you think you're smart in school, so you do good in school, and then you can't manage money because you think that you are a smart, broke person. Or you think you can do great at work, but you can't do great in relationships. So how you show up at work isn't how, even how you show up in relationships. So you have to become what you believe. Does this make sense, guys? Are you seeing how you can apply this? Number six, you have to consistently practice transformation. I want to get to the point that anytime we say transformation, you think. Think and feel and cycle. Think and feel and cycle. What am I thinking? What, am I, what chemicals am I creating? What feelings do I have? Do you know mad has a feeling? And I want to give you this for free. Do you know that if you get mad, it takes your body three days to regulate? If you get mad, it takes your body three days to regulate. So then you start asking yourself, who is worth three days? Who is worth three? So because somebody pulled out in front of you on the way to work tomorrow, you go throw your body out of homeostasis till Thursday morning. You thrown out of whack by people who ain't thinking about you. That person didn't even know they pulled out in front of you. And if they did, they did it because they were trying to get where they were trying to get, not because they were trying to stop you from going somewhere. So we're going to become what we believe, and we're going to practice transformation. Interrupt that cycle. Tell your neighbor, interrupt that cycle. In fact, you ought to get to the point that when you find yourself feeling away, you should say, self, what are we thinking about? When other people talk to you about how bad they feel, how miserable they are, how sad they are, how much grief they're in, you should be like, hey, what you thinking about? Because I guarantee you that you can't feel happy while feeling sorry for yourself. And I, can't I guarantee you that you can't be thankful while being ungrateful. So when I start looking at what I'm thinking about, I can track why I'm in the state that I'm in. I'm always trying to decide whether I should do something pop culture or not because people remember those examples. So let's take out Isha Curry. No shade. This isn't shade. Her feelings as a young mother are legitimate feelings, but how she got there was her thinking feeling cycle. She watched people look at him. She said people always hollering at him. Oh, if he left, he could find somebody real easy. Nobody ever hollers at me. I look cute today. Oh, my God, we went out today. He had on sweatpants. I was dressed up. What, am I not pretty? Thinking, feeling, cycle. So while her feelings may be legitimate, they're not victorious. And I need you to begin to understand the difference between something being a legitimate feeling. Do you have a right to feel that way? You got a right to feel however you feel. You got to ask yourself, is it beneficial to feel that way? Is it beneficial to go down that cycle? There are people who are sad on Mother's Day for 20 years. I get it. Your mother has gone home to be with the Lord. If your mother was here, she would whoop you because you have spent 19 years feeling sorry for yourself. She would say, there is no way in the world. This is the same mama who didn't let you cry when you fell down for more than two minutes, and now you have been crying for 20 years. And you hate Mother's Day. You don't hate Mother's Day. 
you hate the thinking feeling cycle that you put yourself into that makes you think you hate Mother's Day because you could do that on Labor Day if you chose to. We hate places and things because of memories assigned to them. Because we rehearse the memories. That's a traumatic place for me. It's only a traumatic place for you because you still attach the memory there. I love my, it's what Pastor Edwin said yesterday. People, he was talking about me too. He was being shady. He was like, people say they can't leave their house because they have so many memories there. I was like, oh, that's what we go do? You just go bust me out on social media like that, trying to act like you talk about the HGTV people? Okay, got it. You're right. Memories are in my head. I can take my memories wherever it is I go. But for years, I was unwilling to move my, leave my house because I was like, hey, my kids grew up here. I'm not leaving. Y'all go wherever y'all want to go. These are the marks that show when my kids were short and now they're tall. Listen, they were like, we can take the door frame. We will take this piece. I was like, nope, because you can't take the whole house. You understand that as long as I was in that state, nobody could convince me to move? If you're in a state, nobody can convince you to move. Whether it's a joy state or a grief state, whatever state you get in, nobody moves you unless you choose to move. It didn't matter how many. Listen, he took me and showed me wonderful houses. He showed me bigger houses. He showed me houses that had all the things in it that I said that I needed. I needed a bigger closet. I needed all this stuff. He took me there, and every one of them, I was like, nope, not my house. I'm not going. So if you decided my grief, not going, we can't move you. My depression, you're not going. But also, if you decide my joy, you ain't going. When somebody tries to bring you over to their raggedy depression house, you're like, no, thank you. I don't want to come over there. Not my house. Does that make sense? I love it. Eugene just said, I don't want to come to your depression house. It's dark. I like light, airy spaces. I don't want to come to your dark dungeon. I like natural light. Right. So I got to consistently practice transformation. That's number six. Number seven, I have to take responsibility for creating my personal reality. Take responsibility for creating my personal reality. So I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to give you one of my own stories because I think story, people, Jesus told parables because people believe stories better than anything. So, um, so here we go. If you know me, you know that I don't particularly like to travel. So that's interesting because a lot of my work requires travel. What you don't know is that I worked really hard not to have a funky attitude about having to travel. But that doesn't mean that on the inside I've done all the work with regarding that. So sometimes I don't always pay attention to all the details that I need to pay attention to. And it caught me up this week. So here's what happened. Somebody booked a ticket in my name. They spelled my name wrong. Because I don't necessarily really want to travel to begin with. I'm probably secretly, internally, in my subconscious hoping that there's a big storm so I don't have to go. A lot of times I'm hoping. Now, I want you to hear the craziness of this. A lot of times I am hoping that there is a storm that keeps me from going to a place so they don't have any choice but to use me via video. And then I get frustrated when I get in the air and there's turbulence. So, somebody spelled my name wrong. When I got ready to do the ticket, 
Um, I couldn't get any of my TSA pre-check. Listen, if you travel a lot, who travels without that? I couldn't get any of my upgrades that let me get a better seat. So I was on the phone for like two hours. I was on hold for an hour, getting in a worse mood every minute that I was on hold. Cause I got this thing about how I really don't want to go and I think they could just let me be on video anyway, right? And then I realized that I need to go, and so they tell me that this thing is fixed, but the only way I can go to the airport, I, I gotta go to the airport to fix it, so I just should fix it in the morning. So my plane leaves at 7.15, so I'm also a little salty about my plane leaving at 7.15, but if I hadn't been dragging my heels, I could have picked my own time. You see what I'm saying? So everything I'm frustrated by, I'm creating it by my own frustration. So I get to the airport, when I get to the airport, the lady is like, when I get to the airport, I decide I'm gonna have a good mood. I'm gonna be in a good mood because I'm going now at this point, right? So I'm, I might as well, I mean, none of my storm work, none of my let me be on video work, so I'm going, right? So I might as well be in a good mood. I get to the airport and they're telling me how it doesn't matter for if my name is spelled wrong because it's only two letters. And so I'm like, I'm pretty sure it matters. And then she calls the supervisor, and the supervisor's like, no, it doesn't matter. So they print my ticket. I'm like, no, it matters. You see, it won't give me my um, TSA. It won't give me my um, pre-check. It won't let me go to the front of the line, which is why I paid for this to be able to go to the front of the line. And so she was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. And I walked away, and the Lord said, what was your intention when you came? So I went back, and I said, hi, it's me. I'm back again. And I really need your help. And somebody at this airline has my solution. And so I was nice, so she was nice. She called a couple people. This lady happens to be walking by, and she says, have you called this number right here? Now, y'all know that's my number right now. You know they've just helped me right here. They called the number, and in two minutes, they changed my, my name on my ticket, right? And then they say, the lady on the phone says that the thing that I was concerned about, that they tried to tell me that it wasn't a big deal, which was that X and A would let me out because we're relaxed, but DCA was not going to let me back on a plane with a misspelling on my name. So I was going to get there and be stuck there, which was only going to add to the fact that I don't like to travel, right? So they change it. And when they change it, she goes, ah, oh, there's your pre-check. Ah, oh, you qualify for upgrade to first class. But none of that changed till I changed my attitude. I was creating my own personal reality. I can blame the airline. I can blame the people because they won't let me do a face. I mean, they won't let me do um, Zoom. I can blame all of that. But at the end of the day, I get to choose what kind of attitude I have about travel. And when I have a good attitude, I attract to me people who are willing to help me get what I need. And if I have a bad attitude, then I attract people who are just as resistant as I am. Here's the problem. You think because you're smiling, you don't have a bad attitude. I wasn't frowning, but I was yuck on the inside. Some of the stuff, you're, this the South, you probably know how to smile even if you don't feel like it. But that don't mean you're not nasty on the inside. 
So the next time you run into three or four people who rub you wrong, you might want to check what's happening on the inside. Because if you mad because it's Monday, you're probably going to almost run into somebody else who go rub you wrong because it's Monday. All right. So take responsibility for creating. And then number eight, we practice gratitude and thanksgiving. That's the last step. You can get ready to give your offering. We practice gratitude and thanksgiving. Here's what we've learned. What's the benefit of practicing gratitude and thanksgiving? It changes your brain. So why do we practice gratitude and thanksgiving? Does it help God? Is God asking us to praise him because he needs something? God is asking us to praise him because it helps us. Remember who we really are. Now, those eight steps, I encourage you to work on them this week. Because we want you to live your best life. How many of you can sit and think, and even in some of the stories that I just told, and go, dang, maybe that's why that always happens to me? Maybe that's why I always end up in that situation. If you go to a family member's house that you got tension with, I don't care if you try to smile, you probably going to have a conflict. Because you came with your back tight. You already. You're like, I'm going over here and I'm trying to be nice. I'm going to try to be nice. And then as soon as somebody says something, you're like, because I ain't want to be here. No way. That's why I'm leaving. Don't call me back over here, what Gene said. Don't, I'm leaving. Don't call me back over here. Think about the difference in how you feel in clients you like, in clients you don't like, in customers you like, in customers you don't like, in professors you like, in professors you don't like. So are you really struggling in that class because of that professor? Or are you struggling in that class because of your attitude about that class? So it's always about me. And the beautiful thing about it being always about me is that I can do what? I got three people who got what you can do. Tell us, say us again, what can you do? I can change. If I don't like the conflict I'm having with my spouse, change. You don't like your job, change. You don't like how stressed out you feel, change. But if you want to live your best year, at some point you got to tap into who God made you. And realize that if you feel, Pastor Elm been saying this for years, and I used to think it was so rude, but it's so true. He like, if you got low self-esteem, that's on you. Because it's about how you feel about yourself. He was like, now, other self-esteem, you can't do, uh, others esteem, how others esteem you, you don't have anything to do with that. But how you feel about you, you control that. Now, how many of you, or is there anybody who can admit that when he first said that or when you heard that you thought that might not be true, but you have since figured that you determine how you feel about yourself? 